So Lord God, we um, thank you that you're here and thank you that you want to share with us today, Lord God. So give us ears to hear and give me a tongue that doesn't do the wrong things. Amen. So I was, um, I was walking around the lake late last year and um, I was, had, had my iPod on when I put it on shuffle and I've got a number of audio books on there as well as music and um, I remember um, and something come on and I didn't recognise the intro music but I realised it wasn't a song, it was part of a, an audio book or a sermon or something. I'm like, oh, we'll, we'll see what this is. And, and then just beyond this pleasant music come, the, come a really strong voice that just said, comparison is the thief of joy. And I, was, and I remember where I was, I was walking in an anti-clockwise direction around the lake, just near, just near that Jubilee Hall near Forest Street, because I remember hearing it and actually looking, as I was walking, I remember looking up, so as I say it just then, that's the first vision, you know, um, that, that, that I see, because it stuck out to me. And then I listened to this short chapter that was actually in, a, was actually in an audio book about um, creativity and how to write books which I haven't listened to any more of it than that. And in fact, I don't remember anything from that chapter except that saying, comparison is the thief of joy. And that just hit me and it really sort of spoke to something that, that's been um, really sort of impacting in my life, I guess, um, this whole notion of, um, of comparison. You know, and we see it. If anybody's on Instagram or anybody's on Facebook, you know, you, you would think that some people, all they do is cook awesome food, wouldn't you? That's all you'd think. They just post pictures of fantastic food. This, this is all this person must do. Don't they eat peanut butter on toast ever? Like, they must never, you know? So, um, kind of, oh, man, I wish I ate whatever the heck that is. Um, but, I, you know, so, um, but it's really easy because people put all this awesome stuff online, right? And you, and you can see it. And then we watch TV shows like The Voice or other talent shows and, and our job is to compare people and to choose the best, you know? That's our job as, as, as voters. Spend 55 cents voting for this person, please. Um, our culture is obsessed with comparison. And it's actually really unhealthy. It's actually really unhealthy, you know? So that... Um, so that quote, Comparison is the Thief of Joys, by um, Teddy Roosevelt. I know his name's Theodore, but I just want to say Teddy. Um, who was a US president. And he, um, his argue was that compa- comparing your work, your family, your life, how, whatever you do, will only make you unhappy. And so why is that? And it, it's because... Because when you compare yourself to others, you know all your dirty details and, you just, and often you will only see the good things that they present to others, yeah? So, for example, you didn't see me blubbering and stuttering through practice for this message today. You're getting the, the polished deal, yeah? You know? So, um, and the reality is that sometimes those people who post all this pulled pork sandwich stuff. They actually have peanut butter on toast every now and again, I'm sure. But we, do, we don't see it, and so we think, oh, they eat like kings all the time, you know? Um, the problem is that we see the full story of, of who we are, and we don't consider the full story of, of others. And, you know, it's, it's actually easy for us. Some people are 
probably better at it than others of actually putting on a really good face, you know, a pretty picture. I haven't seen anybody post a picture of the sky this morning on Facebook, you know what I mean? You know how people post really excellent sunsets? Like, and I do it too. But you don't just see a normal cloudy sky, do you? We should do that more. Look at the sky, isn't it normal today? Um, so anyway, I get off track already. Um, but this is really personal for me because I've been on this, probably this journey of comparison for maybe at least 39 years now, I reckon. Um, and it's, a, it's something that I've always sort of seen in my life. I remember back in primary school that I was always, this is where you say, oh, the last one picked for, you know, team-based competitions. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You too. <laughs> I'm a bit surprised by that, actually. I, I was, in my class, there was a competition between two of us who could be the slowest. <laughs> and it was either myself or a guy named Glenn Trainer. And we, <laughs> you know, Rob knows him. Um, I, I, only because Rob's sons were, were, in, uh, were, in, were in the class with Glenn and I. And I'm sure they were always probably right top fastest kids. They weren't. Um, <laughs> but they were, it was, a, it was always a race. Whenever there was a 100 metre sprint, as part of school, like, it was always between Glenn and I for who could be the slowest. And some years he was slower than I, and other years I was slower than him, right? And... Yeah, I would get a ribbon for that now. Back then, back then I'd just get picked at last. And it was a... And I don't know about if this was the same as your schools when you guys were in school, but how fast you could run was actually really important for your social standing. It, was, it, it actually spoke a whole lot to who you are, which because that's what, oh, I can run faster than you. And I know it is still um, a social um, standing, because we've got the fourth fastest in the class over there. <laughs> yeah, that's him. Um, so it's a, but it was really interesting. I, and I, I remember that one, that one year, must have been grade five or grade six, we had to do a 800 metre run, and it was a trial before the school sports to represent, you know, the school, um, y y the different school schools, different school groups, sporting teams. You know what I mean? Um, and um, so we had to go over the other side of this oval and the teacher was way over the other side and he had a stopwatch and he was keeping everybody's time and he put his arm up and when he was ready to go, he put his arm down, yeah? So in theory, everybody's watching him waiting, all right? Now, I was over with this crew. I remember it was a really cloudy day at Ballarat North Primary School and I saw the teacher's arm go down and nobody moved. So I went for it. I reckon I got a good at least 70 metres on everybody else um, um, before, I re, I, before maybe they realised. Like, I, I'm a pretty good sprinter, but I, I can't, I'm unfit as anything. And even back then, like, I didn't go well over 800 metres. Ended up coming, like, fifth or sixth, which was awesome, right? So um, there, there is this, but, and I remember the fast kids passed me, like, dang it. They were focusing too much. Um, but it was, so that was a point of comparison in primary school. Throughout high school, I started getting into music and um, we're in, I was in bands. Um, and 
then when you're in bands, particularly local, an opportunity to kind of get your music out there, an opportunity to play, you go in these things called Battle of the Bands, yeah? Which is, which is actually a competition to see which piece of art is actually better than another. <laughs> um, and a lot of different styles of music, a lot of different, you know, uh, teenagers um, who are all trying to find their way and identify who they actually are, um, actually going through this place of actually of, of promoting themselves, I guess, and then at the end you get marked. You get a mark and the best one wins. And this actually really hit me because in a lot of ways I then, whenever I'd go and see bands play or I'd go and see particularly local things or other Battle of the Bands, I would sit and just judge other people and I'd compare what I could do versus them. I'm not as good a singer as them. I really like that song. I wish I wrote that, but I didn't, so I'm not as good as them. And it got to a point of real resentment for me because even as we were um, in my early 20, late teens and early 20s, I'd play around pubs around Ballarat and Melbourne with some bands that it was actually like I felt even we'd walk in and we'd meet another band, I'd automatically go into this spot of going, what's different about them or how am I better than them or how are they better than me? And it was, became this sort of norm for me. Just sort of making sense. Like this is a... And it was like a... It was actually terrible and ultra unhealthy because I couldn't actually sit and listen to the band and enjoy what they were doing, but instead I'd be really sort of contemplating myself and who I am um, compared to them. And, and, it, and part of this sort of hit me when I started to see bands tour together or play together or collaborate on songs and I'm like, oh, actually they like each other. <laughs> Why couldn't I do that, you know? Um, and, and I'm starting to be going, oh, this is weird. You know, I, sometimes this has happened at work. I work in, agri in the agricultural industry and I'm not from an ag background and there is, a, there is a divide between the city and the rural people. Um, and plenty of people tell me about how the city folk don't understand what we do. And I sit there and I nod. And then later on say, I'm, I'm not from an egg background. And it's funny seeing people's face then going, oh, gosh. Um, but I've sat around some dinner tables at conferences and stuff with, with um, some senior politicians in the egg sort of field and CEOs of industry bodies and stuff like that. And you're kind of like... and. I can sometimes sit there and go, what do I have to offer? I've got absolutely nothing to offer them because I don't have that right background. And it's actually restricted me, I feel, in my work. You know, I can then stand here today and go, oh, am I doing as good a job as Andrew? I've heard some pretty good preachers, like, how, how, this is, how is this going to compare? Should I really be doing this? Should I just get down now? You know? And there was a situation last year and I told Ava I was going to mention her but I didn't actually tell her what. And I haven't actually, haven't actually told anybody this story. So um, Ava is an excellent dancer. She sings. She can act. She's, she's, got, she's got it all f um, from I don't know where. But um, like she's amazing. Um, so we signed Ava up to a talent agent last year because 
we thought that um, maybe this would be a nice little way to get her to do some of this stuff, which she does naturally and might make some money from it. <laughs> so we signed her up. Um, as part of that, we went for a photo shoot in Melbourne. And we got there, and it was middle of winter last year. And, um, and there was a, as we pulled up, there was, another, there was another family getting out of a car. And there was a girl there who you could tell that she was going in for the same thing because she's wearing a very summer dress. <laughs> um, and it was winter in Melbourne. So, and straight away, I kind of couldn't help but go, starting comparing even my daughter to her. Um, and kind of going, oh, my daughter's dressed heaps better. Or looks heaps better. Or she's obviously more talented or something. And so we went into this waiting room area and this girl was getting a photo shoot done. And the process was you go and you get this photo done, come out to the waiting area, then you'd go up to this other room to have a look at the photos and choose which photos you want. So while we were waiting to go in for the photo shoot, this girl, this girl came out and we were just waiting there and then she, she got called up, up to this other room to have a look at her photos. And as I was thinking about this, it brought tears to my eyes. But do you remember what she said to you? She said, good luck in there. You'll be fine. Ah, that, yeah. Spoke to... So you can smile. It spoke to my heart and how unhealthy it was. Ah, yeah. But I'm sure this is all just me. Um, this isn't you guys, but... Um, you know, but it just, um, it was really sort of a, um, it really, that's when it really started to go, man, this is not good. So, that's me and various points where I compare. There's probably a billion others. You know, if you ask Danny when we, we compare who packs the dishwasher best and, you know. <laughs> and you can pray for her if you like, so she works it out. You know, but I, but I pray and I go, God, why do I feel like this? Why can't I just work well with other musicians sometimes? Why, why do I have to compare my kids to other kids, you know? We're all your children. What's within me that does this, you know? And a part of this, I guess my response can be, and there's probably more, but it's either a void or I look for and I find faults in others or I can actually hold back from giving my all. And, you know, because of that, I'm totally robbed of my joy when I compare. Totally robbed, you know. And so I know comparison is the thief of joy. It's not a proverb, but it probably should be, or could be. So when do you compare? Um, let's reflect on what the Bible says. You know, John 10.10 10, and um, Trev mentioned this today. The enemy comes to kill or steal, kill and destroy. And this is Jesus speaking. But I've come that they, which is you, may have life and life to the full. You know, um, God wants you to have life and life to the full. It's the enemy who wants to steal, kill and destroy. It is never God wants to steal, kill and destroy. And sometimes... And I've seen it. There's, you know, I've heard people say, uh, sometimes God can take something away and steal and kill and destroy what I've... But, he, but this verse says that, you know, 
I've come to give life and life to the full. You know, and comparison is actually about the heart response. That's what I learned. It's actually not a physical, there's no, you know, survival of the, the, the best, you know what I'm trying to say, when it, when it comes to comparing. It's all about my heart response. You know, and there's plenty of examples in the Bible. You know, both Cain and Abel, they presented offerings to the Lord and the Lord found one favourable and then Cain took it upon himself to kill. That was, his, that was his response, you know. It was direct jealousy, you know. In Proverbs, um, the ESV version of Proverbs 14.30, I love the translation here. It says, The tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. This actually is a proverb. <laughs> this is actually scriptural. Envy makes your bones rot. You know, Martha was pretty cranky when she was preparing food for Jesus and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and she was cranky and she said, look at her, she's just sitting there and I'm cranky. And, you know, it actually wasn't the fact that Martha was making food that was bad or that Mary was sitting down, resting at Jesus' feet that was good. It was the point of comparison that was really unhealthy for Martha. You know, when Jesus told the parable of the... Um, of the prodigal son, you know, the elder brother, he was cranky when his father, um, when, his, when his younger brother came home after squandering all his inheritance, came back and his father put on a royal robe for him and said, let's eat the fattened calf, I think it was. Um, but he was cranky, like, but I've stayed here and I've worked and I've done what you wanted and I've stayed loyal to you and he's wandered away. It was this point of comparison. He actually couldn't celebrate because he felt hard done, hard done by. You know, in Luke 18, there's a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector as well. Um, and Jesus responded at the end of all that. So, so, so what happened was there's the, they're both in the temple worshipping in this parable. And there is the Pharisee who's very proud saying, at least I'm not like him and Lord, you love me and I've come to you fully you know, open and the tax collector comes and says, I'm, I'm so sorry and really sort of humble in response. You know, and Jesus said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, it's part of this upside down kingdom. You know, the disciples are even stating, who's greater? Who's greater? And who, and who will be spared? But it was actually Jesus who said if, in John 21, if you want if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you, you know? So there, there, there's, this, there's, there's this decision and stuff that, that Jesus makes. And we've actually got to hand things to him, you know? And I think part of it is in this verse that you'll know that in, it's in Romans 12 too, which is, do not be conformed to this world, be, be, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, Scott Parker said a couple of weeks ago that this kingdom is the upside-down kingdom, you know. What we've got to remember is that it actually is a kingdom. It's not a democracy either. And what the king's rule is, then that's the outcome, you know. We live in a kingdom, and a ki we must live in a kingdom mindset. But that's sort of not how we expect it in this culture at all, you know. And natural and our cultural response is to compare and... And it's to improve our own standing and to find where we're better, I guess. 
But, you know, in, in the kingdom of God, it's the last who shall be first. It's the meek who shall inherit the earth, yeah? So somebody clever said, and I don't know who it was, they said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to what happens to you, you know? Ross Morgan's response, you know, to acknowledge he's, he's broken at the moment. Um, that's how he's, but that's, you know, it's part of his response, the fact he can still come and serve. It's part of his response, you know. And I think that this sort of fits in with what God wants for us, this, um, this how we respond is actually more important to him. I remember going to the Central Highlands Football Club Grand Final probably about 10 years ago. I had a mate who was playing for Clunes at the time. They were playing Hepburn and that was their main sort of competitor. And Hepburn was killing them. It was half time, uh, three-quarter time actually. And in country football, it was good fun. It was snowing that day too. Um, we went out to um, the three-quarter time huddle just because I thought that would be fun. And the captain coach of that team who was there full, full forward for the Clunes team said, today's been pretty, you know, it's been pretty, but the reality is that happens. But, it's, but what are we going to do about that now? Um, and I'm like, I still, I still remember that. They still got flogged by like 10 goals or something, but it was, but it was actually like, yeah, you know what? We've actually got to get through another quarter here. But it was actually about how, how, how to respond, which was, which was really interesting. And, and, and I think that that's what God looks for in us. How do you respond now? What do you do now? What do you do now? And the way, reflecting on all that stuff that I mentioned about me before, the, the, the thing that I've kind of, I've got to is, and part of the learning for me so far in this is that it's actually about my identity. See, because it actually doesn't worry me anymore if I'm the slowest runner. <laughs> it doesn't, it, that doesn't, like I'm actually really quite happy and I'm interested to talk to other musicians now <laughs> and understand, and other artists generally to see what they're doing, you know. Um, but, you know, there's aspects of your identity that, that, that are sort of found in our, in our points of comparison. You know, the Bible states that we're God's workmanship. Our identity is found in God's workmanship and he's equipped us to do good work. So Ephesians 2.10 and 2 Timothy 3.17, I won't read out, but, but, but talks about our, that we're his workmanship there. So we're actually not created to feel inferior. Did you know that? Did you know it's, um, you know, there's a difference between humility and inferiority, you know? Um, and we should, but we shouldn't also aim to cause others to feel inferior. Any points of comparison, we shouldn't be putting other people down as well. And this is actually a potential outcome of our comparison that we need to be aware of as well. We may not even know it, you know? But I think one of the real important things are that we must dwell on that fact that we are made in the image of God. But in Genesis, it talks about, let's make man in our image. It's something that God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit together at that point of time were really, really keen on, that we are made in his image. And that's where our identity is found. So the real questions about our identity that I think we've got to ask ourselves, you know, am I worthy? Am I worthy? Am I? And 
I think the answer is a definite and resounding yes. You are worthy. I'm worthy. We're all exceptionally worthy. We are. Sometimes we don't think we are because of our points of comparison keep us from, from, from understanding that. You know, If I know that I'm worthy, why does this stuff still get to me then? Because it's easy to say I'm worthy. All right, end of the sermon, off we go. But actually, why does this stuff still get to me? You know, um, And so if this stuff still gets to me, do I really think I'm worthy? Like, I know I'm worthy, but do I think I'm worthy? Like, there's times where we, where we question that, you know? And I, I think one of the key aims of our life should be to understand who God made us to be. Who did God make you to be? It'll be very different. In some ways, the answer will be very different to who he made me to be. Very different. And I... Um, you know, the, reality, the Bible talks about the body has many parts and it's talking about the body of the church has many parts. The reality is that not everybody should be worship leading, nor doing sound, nor making coffee, you know, nor serving in, in kids' church. But if that's you, if one of those things is your thing, then you should be doing that because that's your part of the body, you know. I really... Um, and the question to ask, another question to ask ourselves is, what has he given you to use? What has he given you to use? And often the first thing that comes to the top of your mind when what has he given you to use, you probably should be using that a little bit more. The, so I, the Lord wants to encourage us to be our own selves. That, that's what he wants to do. Are we cool with that? Does that make sense? God wants us to encourage us to be our own selves. You know, David couldn't wear Saul's armor. When David said, I'll go out and I'll fight Goliath, Saul gave him his armor. And David's a little bloke, Saul's a big bloke. The armor didn't fit. You actually need to use what's in your hands, your skills, to do what God's called you to do. Yeah. So we've actually got to kill this thing called, called comparison. We've actually got to kill it because it's unhealthy, it's not good for us. How do we do that? I've only got 17 other pages and we will find out. No, we'll find out right now. There's, there's a couple of things that we've got to do. And this is what the Lord's showing me so far. And again, this is the journey that, 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 that I'm on and will continue to be on. And there's probably another 17 messages around this. But the first thing is rejoice in the Lord. That's the first thing we've got to do is rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say... See, it's a command, actually. So much so that he says it, do it twice. Yeah? So when you don't have joy, you need to rejoice. Yeah? When you don't have joy, you need to get it again. That's what rejoicing is. Filling up again. Okay? And... Happiness and joy are two very different things, I found. Happiness and joy are two very different things. You can be exceptionally happy but have no joy in life. Or you can be going through absolute hell and still have a joy that's found in the Lord. Yeah. All right. You know, Scott mentioned um, a couple weeks ago again, you know, he talked about that um, turn your eyes on Jesus and spoke about the notion of um, there's the part of that song which says, 
um, when you turn your eyes on Jesus, the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. You know, it's actually, and it actually is strange. I've been through situations where there has not been a spot of happiness there, but can actually find some joy in just being focused on the joy that I have in Him. When our family had, we like lost my, for those who don't know, and this is a whole three billion sermons in itself, but I lost um, a brother and a sister um, who both died when I was 24. There was not much happiness then. That happened within two months of each other. There was not much happiness then. There was, plenty, there was actually plenty of joy. And I remember a mate walk. After my sister had passed away, the next day, my mate came around and we just went for a walk. And he said, I know people would handle what you're going through without knowing Jesus. And I'm like, well, at this point, I'm just breathing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with all honesty. But, but that's all I've got, you know. That, that, that's all I've got, you know. There was actually a part of that time where I know people would go home and weep. And I didn't. And a bit of that was me being totally numb and being totally rude and hard and all that sort of stuff. But part of it was that there was actually this weight that was was released for me to be able to focus on joy and they actually carried that, you know. You know, um, I'm not sure whether I've got it here or it's further down here, you know. The Bible talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, you know. In fact, it was right there. It's my next point. Um, But the point is we've actually got to find our joy. You've got to find your joy. Don't look for happiness because happiness comes and goes. Happiness is a feeling. You know, joy is a thing that comes from the Lord. Find the joy. Be found within the joy, you know. And when we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep, it's important to understand this is where comparison really sort of kicks in that you can actually weep because of those who are rejoicing and rejoice because of those who are weeping. And that's not very good. So rejoice. And again I say rejoice. That's the first point. Second point is encounter Jesus. You know, I'm just a huge fan of Paul. My favorite person in the Bible is Peter. Sorry. Better say, my favourite person in the Bible is Jesus. But um, my favourite sort of, (laughs) felt like I had to say that, but I really love Peter because Peter completely stuffed up, you know, at the same point of time, (laughs) more than once stuffed up, um, then declared that, that, you know, that that he, you are the Lord, you are the God, you are the Saviour, you are the Messiah. And that's when Jesus' whole ministry turned around. He goes, now, now let's go get this cross thing done, right? And, but he said to Peter, I'll build, the, I'll build the, the church upon you. You are the rock, right? But I love what happens in Acts because there's his handing over from Peter to Paul. And so we've got to remember that Paul encountered Jesus on a road to Damascus as he was going to get Christians to kill. Yeah? He was actually on a pretty severe path to kill people who believed this little cult called Christianity. And so that, so, and and he encountered Jesus. Jesus um, blinded him, put scales on his eyes for for, for a little while. So, but as part of this encounter with Jesus, fully changed everything that he was, he, he did. He was then totally sold out because he had this complete and utter encounter 
Yeah? Now, you, you'll, also, you'll read in the Bible and in Acts that Paul argued with Peter. They argued about stuff, you know, because, because and he, he, was, he was getting more and more of the Gentiles in, in, involved. That's what, you know, he was saying salvation's for, for the Gentiles as well, yeah? But he was, he was happy to argue with the guy who Jesus said, you are the rock in which I'll build my church on. Paul was actually really quite happy to argue with a guy who actually walked with Jesus. Paul, beyond that encounter, wasn't there when Jesus was doing his ministry on the earth. He wasn't there. And yet he's written a whole bunch of letters to the church that we find in our New Testament today, where, and, and we go, we actually, we, we, we can respect the words of Paul. And it all came because of his encounter with Jesus. Yeah? Oh, good. He could have been way out of his depth. If he sat in a spot of comparison, go, well, you know, well, you were there, Peter, so maybe whatever you say. You know, he could have done that. You know, I wasn't there. I don't really know. Maybe it wasn't Jesus I met on the road. Maybe it was another spirit of some kind. Maybe, you know, um, and, but, and maybe my past actually holds me back from being able to do this ministry stuff now because, you know, I was pretty bad back then and I was actually killing people and I was responsible for it, you know. And, and so we look at all these, he could look at all these points of comparison and go, okay, I'm out. And I reckon that's sometimes what we do. We look at the points of comparison and go, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, I'm nothing compared to that, you know. But if you know your encounter with Jesus, you can't, no one can question that, Yeah. So Paul trusted in his experience with God himself, you know. And then he had to trust that God had it all sorted out. So if you haven't encountered Jesus, that's, that's priority number one. Then rejoice. The next thing is you can actually rely on God's prophetic words that have been given to you. So part of that is what does the Bible say about who you are? Why don't you look that up? Google it. What does the Bible say about who I am? I want Google to go, why are all these people in this Ballarat area looking for that today? You know, what has God spoken over to you through prophets we've had in this house or people in this house, yeah, either part of this house or have come in in guest ministry or, or, or elsewhere? What have they spoken over you? Because if these words are from God himself, then no other source is trustworthy. And that's your job to discern that. It's actually your job to, to, to discern that. You know, I've got a folder on my computer which is full of prophetic words. Here's the words that have been spoken over me, like recordings people have given me or I've just written them out if somebody shared them with me. Because every now and again, I actually need to stop and go, I'm in this bad spot and I need to actually go back and say, God, what do you, who, do you say, who do you say I am? And that's where I find my joy again. Ah, this is my center. This is who I am. If you don't have a prophetic word over your life, there are people here who have done prophetic training. There are people who are still doing prophetic training. And this is the last thing. Doing well. So rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Be rejoiced, filled with joy. Encounter Jesus. Know what he's saying about you, about who you are. 
and, and his word over you. And this last thing, we need to actually realize that comparison is spiritual. It's, and I, I, I believe it's a spirit from hell, straight from hell. See, there's good comparison when we go, oh, which house do we buy? Oh, we should buy this one because it has whatever, you know? Which car should I buy? Which job should I take? Who should I marry, you know? There's actually some reasonable points of comparison that you can have in your life. But when you realize that it's actually tearing you down or holding you back or, the, or, or, or some of the outcomes of this comparison are you're avoiding, you're not, you're not living life to, to the full, then it's actually from hell. Because as that verse in John 10.10 said, the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. That's his aim. There's nothing more to it. He's got nothing else. He can't create anything. That's all he does. So we go, well, I'll take that away and I'll steal that from you. And I believe there's a spirit that actually speaks to us and goes, you're not good as them. You can't do that. You could never do that. Or look at them. They think they're better than you. So the devil wants to steal your identity. You know, This is where your prophetic words... So, so here's, see, here's the opposite here. Prophetic words of God saying, here's who you are. Here's who, here's who you are. And then the devil says, no, you're not. <laughs> it's kind of that simple. It's actually, God says, here's who you are. And the devil says, no, you're not. Because that's all he's got. It's all he's got. And sometimes we're going to go, oh, no, I'm not. Yes, I, yes, I am. And that, that's why we've got to be founded in the words straight from God. So what, is, what does the Bible say about, about who you are? What are the words spoken over you that God shared with you, you know? So here's the guts of it. Comparison will not bring you joy. Understanding your true identity is what will bring you joy. You know, comparison is the thief of joy. And encountering and resting in Jesus will bring you joy 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 to the world the lord has come that's why we sing it rejoice rejoice emmanuel we're going to end here but i'm going to pray is that cool we'll pray and th- and that then we'll finish up could you stand with me as we pray And maybe this has been an area for you where you're just going, you know what, I've been really struggling with this, where I'm just going, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'd love to pray with you. Love to pray with you. Um, but let's just pray now um, as a family, as a, as a church, as a body. So Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that our true identity is found solely in you. We thank you that we are your sons and daughters. We thank you that you've revealed the mysteries of the heavens to us. We thank you, Lord God, that you still speak to us today. We thank you, Lord God, that within you we are totally found and within you alone we find joy. So Lord, I rebuke envy, I rebuke judgment, I rebuke division, and I rebuke rebuke the spirit of comparison. And I declare that we are united as one body, in our calling to be the hope of the world. I declare that we will accept each other in humility. I declare that we will accept ourselves for who you've called us to be.
And I declare that we will have life spoken over us and we will not be chained to any insecurity. May our true identity be completely found in you and you alone. Lord, we pray for spiritual blinkers to only see what you put ahead of us, Lord God. We, we pray that we will identify where points of comparison have come against us and have held us back. Yeah. Lord God, we thank you for the word today. Thank you to speak to our hearts, you speak to our souls, Lord God. Lord, we, just, uh, we, we rest in you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis, Lord. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow. Bless you all.